Hello there, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life, just an impromptu one on Monday the 5th of October, which is deadline day for the Premier League in England clubs looking to rush through deals. And in the context of that, I wanted to get a guy who covers Manchester United, the club I support, Tom McDermott, writes in The Sun, has worked for Sky Sports as well and Sky News in his past incarnations. I've met him through charity games and supporting United, talking about United online and uh, get Tom's perspective on Manchester United and what's going wrong after the 5-1 loss to Tottenham yesterday. Two defeats from three in the Premier League and the one victory against Brighton, arguably pretty lucky. This off the back of a third place finish, which was the best finish for the club since Sir Alex Ferguson left in the summer of 2013. Second best finish, obviously, after second in 2018. Apologies to Jose Mourinho, who was uh, the architect of Tottenham's big win at Old Trafford yesterday. He seemed to enjoy himself, which is fair enough. Uh, Tottenham played well. But just look at the, the sort of rationale that it's constant re- recruitment that needs to solve the situation here with Tom and what type of players need to be brought in. Is it something you can look on a, a stat sheet or is it more intangible at motion and... Um, style of play and personality which which perhaps will impact the situation or is it about coaching the current squad could they be better uh, a la the job arguably Jurgen Klopp has done with the Premier League champions Liverpool in terms of enhancing players is that the answer is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer able to do that the current Manchester United head coach so Tom McDermott is uh, coming up quick uh, mention of course to the sponsors of the podcast Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installation. Certainly love listening to podcasts through my Bang & Olufsen uh, headphones. Uh, fantastic stuff bought in the courtyard in Montpellier or from the courtyard in Montpellier. Come on, contact Jason Briggs and his team. And on the subject of immunity and health, as we enter into the cough and cold season, drop my little girl off at school today. There's often parents saying, I think it might be a little sniffle or a cough, and everyone's uncertain in the COVID-19 era about what exactly um, is the, the symptoms of COVID and what might be just the regular seasonal stuff. So as we're all trying to stave off coughs and colds, just make it logistically simpler for us all and not develop symptoms. I think immunity is, is key and, and supplementation, particularly vitamin D with COVID and, and general health is, is a key one. So cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk and my discount code is DRAPER10, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one zero. And feel free to pass that on. Okay, here we go. Tom McDermott, journalist who covers Manchester United on a daily basis. Tom, good morning. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm okay. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you loud and clear. Have you got me okay? Perfect, yeah. Good, good. Welcome back to the, uh, the podcast. How are, you? How are you? Pardon, sorry? Are we up and running now? Are we? Is this, is we this... are, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, unless you want to F and Jeff and I can always cut it out, but it's, uh, it's good. <laughs> no, all good. Good. Uh, how, are you, how are you feeling after after yesterday and the, the debacle of Old Trafford, which was sort of, I suppose, <laughs> not attenuated by the debacle at Villa Park for Liverpool, but it was certainly a surreal day. Such a uh, strange game, actually. I'm just wondering if the lack of fans, certainly mm. maybe... In, in the Liverpool game, I had a part to play. It didn't. It didn't feel right, did it? Really? Um, no. Taking nothing away from from, from Liverpool. Sorry, uh, Villa and Spurs, who thoroughly deserved the victories. But I just think that I just wonder how much the lack of supporters in the ground, you know, have, have that part to play because you know you can't. Would Luke Shaw have been able to do that in the in, in the second half? That sort of sliding mm. that nearly took. <laughs> <laughs> Took took a leg off of the opposition. I'm quite sure. I think if there was sort of supporters breathing down down his neck, he might not. It might not have played that. I think Solskjaer's reaction behind that 
um, told its own story. But yeah, it's um, it was a difficult one to swallow, for, particularly for, from a Manchester United point of view. Liverpool, of current world champions, current league champions, can probably mm. a bad day at an office and a freak result. But for United, there's probably more uh, more uh, larger concerns. Yeah, I think it's the worst defeat since the City one, isn't it, in 2011? So it's it's uh, yeah. definitely pretty harrowing. We did go on and, and recover to win the league in 2013 after that, but it's been a long seven years. How, how do you, is that, I mean, I think during this process, we were very lucky to almost allow ourselves to be emotionally affected by defeats for like growing up to seven years ago because they were sort of few and far between relatively. But now you almost have to learn to, to cope with it emotionally. But intellectually, it's quite a puzzle, isn't it? Because... I think you put on Twitter as well. I know you cover United, obviously, for partly for a living. And I think the sort of inconsistency of it, one moment you think there's progression and then there's sort of unravelling that happens and you sort of scratch your head a little bit, don't you? It's such a complex thing trying to get that momentum back. Yeah, it's hard to, to work out. I, I, you mentioned Liverpool there, actually, at the beginning. Um, mm. And I looked at when Klopp first arrived at Liverpool and, and the work he did. And, and there wasn't quite the same kind of up and down Inconsistency. I yeah, there was a, there was a period where he, um, I think he probably struggled. Coutinho left as well, but they reinvested the money in the squad. They got a goalkeeper in. They got a central defender in. Mm-hmm. Both world class. And for Solskjaer, it, it, for me, it feels slightly different in the sense that we have these sort of runs of, of of great form, and then there's little pockets of what almost feel like little disasters, and then mm. it recovers and goes again, and then we're kind of back to where we were. Um, but I think the wider issue for United is that. We saw it with Mourinho when he said it was probably one of his greatest footballing achievements, getting his Manchester United team to second. And and somewhere after that was where he really needed to be yeah. supported in the transfer market. And he probably wasn't as well as he liked. And I think we're, we're in danger of seeing that again with Solskjaer, getting us to third last season, three cup semi-finals, which is a, which is a great achievement. And then this summer window, unless something dramatic happens in the next sort of 10 or 11 hours, you know, we might be disappointed again. So there is a pattern emerging. It's not just down to Solskjaer. Having said that, on the field yesterday, that 11 was was good enough. And sometimes, you know, when you go down to 10 men, mm. you have to take your medicine and accept a defeat. If you, mm. if you can't compete in certain areas, you kind of have to make it difficult for the opposition. And I don't think United did that yesterday. And that, that was a big disappointment. So, yeah, looking back at the, the impact Klopp had, looking back at the impact Pep Guardiola had, who, of course, Guardiola didn't didn't win a trophy, uh, the league title in his first season either. No. These guys seem to be to be going in, in the right direction, and it kind of felt like United were at the turn of the year after a, a tricky November December. Mm. Sort of, you know, they've got back from lock, from lockdown, and, and this season started. It just feels like a bit of a struggle, really, which is a shame because uh, you know I want Solskjaer to do well. Yeah, of course. Yes, he's a club legend, and it was it had that momentum before the lockdown, and they managed to get third because partly because of Leicester sort of really running out of steam, and, and and Chelsea not being as consistent as maybe they've been in in past years. But it's it's intriguing the transfer thing, isn't it? Because Jose Mourinho saying he wanted more money as a club, it's over a billion pounds now, isn't it? Since twenty thirteen, and yeah. you mentioned City and, and their greatest Achilles heel since Guardiola's come in is is arguably the defence, and he spent four hundred million pounds on defenders, and, and we wait to see whether Ruben Diaz help solve their issues. It's it's a very difficult thing, the transfers, isn't it? Because we get excited and obviously deadline day is huge for my employers, Sky Sports News as well. Yeah. And it's I think I'll be glued to it all day. But it's it's it, it's not necessarily any guarantees with players, is there? Even despite all the sports science, we're never quite sure until they come that what, what impact they're going to make. No, absolutely. And, and even under Sir Alex Ferguson, um, 
there were several big, big signings or, or big players that you were just willing to do well that didn't quite make you want Sebastian Veron uh, yeah. to mind straight away. And you look at the signings Chelsea have made, um, the kind of rule is that, you know, the unwritten rule will be that not all the signings that, that Frank Lampard's made will be as successful. Now, if they are, then they're in for one hell of a season. <laughs> now, his, his history will suggest that whoever you are, when, when you bring these sort of numbers of players or such players of, of high quality, not all of them will hit, you know, hit the ground running and be successful for you. Mm. What I will say about Solskjaer is that he's, he, I think he probably does have an, an, an eye for a player. I think that Bruno was obviously a great, a great signing. That, to me, suggests that you know when United bring a quality player in and, and Solskjaer identifies him, then they are capable of, of making such a great impact as Bruno did. And, and let's be honest, if Bruno didn't arrive in January, Manchester United probably wouldn't have finished the season in a Champions League spot. No. But actually going out and identifying players and getting them over the line, it can have a positive effect on, on the team, on the club. And the higher the club finishing the league, then the better financially they'll probably do because it'll mm. mean more Champions League football and, and more on-the-field success. So, it yeah. is interesting, yeah. Um, I mean, if you go through Solskjaer signings, Wan-Bissaka in general, uh, OK, he, he struggled. In a good, def- good defender, though, isn't he? Yeah, recently, yeah he's a good defender. Harry Maguire... I've always said Harry Maguire, I've been critical of him. He's, he's a very good Premier League defender. He's probably just not captain material and shouldn't be leading the defence. But if you put him next to a more mobile central defender, yeah. you probably see the, the, the best of, of Harry Maguire. Dan James, like so many other Manchester United players, and it's interesting with Dan James because if you rewound to a year ago, people yeah. were so highly of him. He, he, he really did hit the ground running. Um, and he's a young player that I hope can get a low move or kind of rebuild his Manchester United career. Then, of course, you've got the most recent signing of, of Bruno, who, who who we all know about his impact. And Van der Beek comes mm. from a, a fantastic background and history at Ajax. So, if I was to analyse Solskjaer signings in general, I'd probably say that, that you know... That you, see the, you see the plan, can't you? Yeah. Of course, you can. I mean, what, what do you think about the, the strategy in, in comparison to, to previous, previous well, years? Because well, the director of football is something that United don't seem to be you know, to be looking at, but so many of the clubs have it and, and, and are successful with it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what struck me is that I read a book called Soconomics a few years ago, and it talks about how difficult transfers are and how many don't necessarily actually positively impact squads. Yeah. Um, when they break down the numbers and how the sort of the key was, which I suppose Ferguson epitomised at United, was you get a core that you accumulate over a number of years and you just transition. He was Obviously, it took him seven years to win the league, but then... He was able to do that and pepper it as one, two, three signings. 95 was a big sort of seismic time, wasn't it, when Beckham and, and those guys came through. But generally, from that point on, there was a more evolution of it. And they said that that's the best thing is to pay higher salaries to the successful players. But I think you're right. Bruno certainly started to restore my faith in the, in the concept of an impact signing, a bit like Cantona in 92, in the sense that he didn't only yep. bring great skills, did he? But it was a personality thing, Tom. I don't know if you felt that, that there was something... And I don't know whether the scouting systems are really identifying that, but he's got a, an effervescence and an enthusiasm that I felt that even though he, there's a lot of great technical players coming to United, that perhaps they didn't quite have that, which is what United need, because they need, a, they need a, a shot in the arm emotionally, don't they, it feels like? I think so, yeah. I think the, the kind of culture um, is a word that gets quite used a lot, but I think that Solskjaer has, in general, a game with like his transfers, like the direction he's trying to take United in. I think he's improved the culture of the club. I think the game against Tottenham Hotspur, there were signs there that we were creeping back into to old ways where the players 
for want of a better way of describing it, it didn't look like they were always applying themselves as best they could. But I think, mm. well, if, you, if you're being honest, I think it, it's positive. And I think that, you know, look at a player like Alexis Sanchez, who is an undoubted ability, but then you read his quotes since his departure and you've got to question, question whether he wants to be there. Now, I think if you look at Bruno Fernandes, there's no doubt at all that he wants to be there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's reflected on the pitch. So when you sign these players, there's... There's, there's two elements. It's one: do they fit fit the team in terms of their skills, and and can they improve the team? But but more secondly, and probably more importantly, and even if they haven't got the skills, you know, you want do they want to be there, and do yeah. they want to, do they fit into the culture and that winning mentality? I always remember what Michael Vaughan told me. <laughs> he said that when he pre Ashes was it oh five? Yeah, the, the, the England the England cricket captain for people who aren't cricket fans, but former yeah, England he, he said to me that the biggest thing for him to do was to change the culture and change the mentality because if they play the Australians in the ashes, um, again, at cricket, as Ed said, mm. and were to lose, they would be just giving the same messages to the same team that had lost so many times before. Yes. But when they lost that first test, when they had that setback, they kept doing what they're doing and kept building on what they'd been doing for the last two years. Yeah. It was all down to culture and a change of mentality. And I think that, listen, times have changed now in football, you need results. But I think that that was such a strong point for me because I think that that's what Solskjaer's trying to, trying to do or has been doing. And I think that the setbacks at the moment are, are probably slightly surprising to him as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he reacts. But yeah, the, the culture and the, the person who you're working with, whether it's a, an existing employee or existing player or a new person you bring it into the, to the organisation or, or the sports camp is, is, is so, so vital. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the reason that I sort of have a sort of instinctive reaction. I know it's because he's been in the world stage for so long, but Edison Cavani, I have a positive feeling because when I'm picturing him in my, in my sort of mind's eyes, I would say on, on Twitter, you have this sort of enthusiastic, energetic guy. And I know he's 33 now, but he always seemed to be someone who did apply himself. And whether he's got a particular passion for Manchester United, I guess that's doubtful growing up in Uruguay, but you feel that he will have a respect for it and, and a reverence for it. And he, he always seems committed. Out of all the Paris Saint-Germain players that had some erratic results at times, he, he always seemed very much a consistent performer. I suppose that's why potentially bring him in. Similar United hope to, to Zlatan and, and Henrik Larsson before him, don't they? I suppose that he brings an experience and a, and a, and a bit of influence on the culture without actually, like Jaden Sancho, without sort of roadblocking any of the, the front three as well. I think so. And in terms of Cavani, I think the surprise is not the sort of standard of player. It's that it's taken so long, given that he's been, I think, a free agent since maybe August, maybe. Mm. So it's been a couple of months there that United could have concluded a deal. Yeah. But with Igarlo, um likely to leave and go out to his parent club in January, there's going to be a gap there. If, if, if a right-sided forward doesn't come, and Igalo leaves in January, then you're down to Greenwood, Martial and Rashford to lead the line again. Now, I think I'm right in saying that at one point last season, Rashford damaged or broke his back and Martial was injured and they were out at the same time. Yeah. If that happens again with Igalo, um leaving, mm. United need a, 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 a striker. And again, you've mentioned Larson. I remember when Charlie Ferguson was heavy linked with a 30-year-old Paolo Di Canio at West Ham. Hmm, yeah. You know, these, these players, Sheringham, I think, was 31. He sent five for Manchester yeah. United. Yeah, Cavani, you know, probably not what Cavani was five years ago. Yeah, he's but... a different type of player to Sheringham, isn't he? In the sense that Sheringham aged well because he never really never had any pace. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he still looks like he could play as well, Teddy. Yeah, very slim. <laughs> um, he, uh, it's you know, I'm not as disappointed as, as some people are with the you know capture of Cavani because I think, like as you rightly pointed out, there is space for somebody like that. 
and Zlatan didn't turn out bad in the end, did it? Anyways. No. No, he, I mean, he, his confidence was actually neat, wasn't it? On that sort of emotional level, his confidence actually injected yeah. the squad with something they needed at that point and actually inspired them to a bit of trophy success in 2017. And it'll probably do, you know, the likes of Mason Greenwood, looking at a, how he, you know, we talked about personality and how people conduct themselves. Well, Cavani's experience in goal speak for themselves. So obviously, on the training ground, somebody like Greenwood will benefit from that, but also how he prepares for games. Mm. Gigs and Skulls, Neville, Beckham, all that area, even people that we brought in like Vidic, Patrice Evra, who spoke passionately on Sky over the weekend. These guys didn't just play well on, on, and, and couldn't themselves, you know, properly on the pitch, off the field in terms of preparation. They were um, they were second to none. So I, I expect Cavani. I imagine Cavani will, will will be like that as well. I suppose, I suppose the sort of million dollar question is, Tom, what do you feel about the quality of the current squad? Is it manoeuvrable and manageable in the way that Klopp did with a couple of tweaks to Liverpool to make them that force, or is it something that? needs huge work in terms of evolution of the squad still. Do you think that there is a starting eleven in there that can compete? I think there's a, a fantastic maybe 11, 12 or 13 players there Yeah, that, that, that could compete. But I, I always go back to this and the year that Liverpool won the Champions League, and, and this is painful as a Manchester United fan, but you've got to obviously respect great teams and great managers. But the, the year Liverpool won the Champions League, in the semi-final, I think um, Origi scored. Yeah against Barcelona at Anfield. And then, of course, he scored the winning goal, or the, sorry, the decisive second goal in the Champions League final against Tottenham. Yes. While Origi's not a a, a first-choice starter for, for, for Liverpool, there's people like him and Shaqiri. And, of course, the, 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 their squad's a lot stronger now with, with Thiago. Mm. Uh, but I just think that the squad at Manchester United is thin. And do we have a player that could come on that... I don't want to say he's in Origi's class, but could make that kind of impact where, you know, in 99, Cole York, Sheringham and Solskjaer. Yes. There was a, a selection of people there. Henningberg um, in 99, if um, Stam and Jonsson weren't quite, you know, ready, you could put him in. David May, Kevin, and do the job. So I think Manchester United got 12 or 13 players, perhaps, perhaps 14, whatever. They've got slightly over 11 players who are very, very good, mm. can, can compete. Um, with the best teams. You look at the results last season against Manchester City, um, the home game against Liverpool, Tottenham a couple of times. Yeah. Manchester City can play and play and win against these teams. But it's the supporting cast that sadly isn't up to it. And if you're playing... I mean, look, the semi-final, of the, I think it was the um, FA Cup, wasn't it, against Chelsea yeah. during during lockdown. That kind of... We had a big game on the, on the Thursday. I think it was Europa League or, or, a, or a league game. And then we had the cup semi-final and we didn't quite get the balance right of, of the 11 we put out. And I just feel that if it was City or Liverpool, they'd have managed that a little bit better. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, <laughs> great first 11, but more strength in depth needed. And Van der Beek is a sign that, you know, he's hardly played a Premier League game. Or he's certainly not started a Premier League game since he's been here. Yeah. But he's more, he's more of that kind of quality throughout the throughout the squad, really. Yeah, I thought on social media, actually, there had a sort of surge of optimism the other day. I think I was looking down at uh, my food or something, looked up and saw the sort of fair-haired guy trudging around on the far side of the pitch. I think it was the, the League Cup game maybe uh, last week. And suddenly, for a moment, I had this thought that Skulls was back. You know, it's oh, kind of, we'd, have we'd have him. Yeah, there's something similar about his posture, I think. Hopefully, he can, uh, he can live up to that billing. It's a pretty uh, kind of foreboding one for him and, and ominous in terms of trying to, trying to replicate Skulls. On signings, though, Ed, and it's, it's great comparison with Skulls, but on signings, you, you've got to look at Van der Beek. Hmm. And I, I'm quite interested in Bruno, actually, because... Talk about personality and that winning mentality. Yeah. 
how long would he put up with this kind of up and down form? Because here's a guy whose skill, you know, should be playing in the Champions League every year. Yes. Manchester United can't offer him that. I'm not writing Manchester United out of the top, top four at this stage. Absolutely not. But if Manchester United don't finish in the top four, how many years can you keep a player that happy? Yeah. Sorry, that ability happy. Well, there's also complications. I suppose you could argue Paul Pogba keeps him out of the team, but is Pogba warranting that position? But the, the issue with, with United, and I think it goes with salaries, but it also goes with transfer fees. Sometimes I wonder if our expectation is morphed because actually when United, and, and to be fair, Manchester City come calling, it seems to me that maybe these defenders and players have got a higher price tag. But actually, if another club had come in for them, there would be a lower price tag and, and a lower salary. And that's potentially where we are with Pogba, isn't it? That it's very difficult to see him being eased out of the way because of his, his contract. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, Paul Popper is almost a special case because he's so frustrating in that he's got such world-class, unique ability. Yeah. There really isn't another player in the world like him. The question for United, from United has been, and whether it's a coaching issue, whether it's, a, whether it's, it's Paul himself, but at, at, or, or working with a couple of managers now, there just appears to be an inconsistency with him. Mm. And I think Van der Beek, the Van der Beek signing was an excellent signing. For, for, for me, I think we've got a £60 million player there for £40 million. I think the price was great. And I'm sure that you know, helps help when they came to the negotiating table. It was quite an easy deal to do. But Pogba, yeah. Van der Beek and Bruno, for me, are very difficult to fit into the same formation. Yeah, and the four-three-three is almost, you, you sense, is partly owing to Pogba, isn't it, to try and facilitate him? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So... The Van der Beek is, is, is a great problem. We want the squad depth. We talked about that. But I think that ultimately, I just wonder if maybe in 12 months down the line, Pogba does does move on. And, and then we see the proper Van der Beek establish himself in there next to, to, to Bruno. Because I'm, I'm struggling at the moment to see how all three of them can, can fit in the same team. Which means that when we're playing in the big games, as we saw at the weekend, it looks like Van der Beek will, will have to take his spot, spot yeah. on the bench. And if we're doing a four-three-three, partly to, to facilitate the most expensive player, Pogba, you wonder you have to have a little bit of sympathy, don't you, for players like Dan James? Because I'm not sure four-three-three suits him because he's he's an old-school winger, isn't he? Of course, and Dan James for me is um, he gets himself into these fantastic positions. He's so, so quick, he's, he's so bright, um, and, and I do think if he did go somewhere like Leeds, I think it would be a great shame because I think there's a player in there somewhere. I really do. It's almost like he needs to just take that step away and watch a bit of the game and watch how people are sort of the top players like Sadio Mane again, mm. like Liverpool, but in that final third, deliver when all the the sort of chaos and pace and expectation around them is going on. When they get the ball in that final third, they always seem to make the right decision, be it a yeah. cross, shot at goal. And, and Dan James at the moment, or certainly since probably the turn of the year, it just seems his, his legs are getting there and his brain's getting there, but they're not quite working together. Yeah. And um, I, I suppose a key key question as well is that with Jurgen Klopp, he used the Liverpool comparison because I suppose they are the benchmark despite yeah. shipping, shipping seven at Villa yesterday. And I think they've been a little bit more inconsistent in the last sort of five, six months than they were previously, but they are the benchmark. They are the champions. And I, when you look at that team, you mentioned Sadio Mane. It was an interesting piece about him. Uh, and actually illustrating that when he was at Southampton, they'd actually fallen out of favour before he left Southampton, similar to Diogo Jota, at Wolves, but they'd seen something at Liverpool that they could use for their system and enhance. And, and Mane's improved. You feel like Jordan Henderson's improved. You feel like uh, Mo Salah. I mean, you thought Mo Salah was a bit part winger at Chelsea, didn't we? That may just be the fit part. But that's the key, isn't it? It's where the Solskjaer, I suppose, can can get the best out of the players. 
and that's the worry I think with if you look at the defence, that's that's the best point they that, that you look at Manchester United's defence, Juan Bissaka, Bay, Maguire and Shaw are not bad players. No. And people make mistakes. And one of the most alarming things for me is collectively, as a group or as a unit, they they seem like they're playing as individuals who've just joined the club rather than a team that yeah you know, be playing together because the hardest teams to break down are, and, and Mourinho is obviously superb this he's, he's playing as a unit and playing as a back four and playing together mm. at the moment whether it's coming from the coaching um, it must be can only be coming from the coach by view they don't seem to be playing together well yeah and that, that yeah that iconic Arsenal back four as well you know it's a sort of cliche but there's they've trained with a rope George Graham would put them in, in sort of rope with Dixon Adams Keown Bold whoever it might be in the centre half and then you've got um, Nigel Winterburn at left back they had that kind of rope there and another Arsenal left back Kenny Sampson said it was to me that it was all about partnerships on the pitch and understanding each other so the left centre half understands the right centre half and understands the left back and it feels like sometimes there's there's no synchronicity is there in the defence when, when Maguire goes missing everyone's seeing that there's a hole in the middle but then no one's seemingly anticipating that at United everyone else can see it I wouldn't say I wouldn't say no, I wouldn't say that Simpson Hoof Morgan and Fuchs I think was the back four was it for less yeah, yeah I wouldn't say that that is a Individually, a more talented group than what Manchester United had out yesterday. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But I think what they did is they were, they were solid. They were very good to, together, and they obviously could communicate. And I think that's another issue. I think for Harry Maguire, the time now is probably to take the captain's armband off him. Mm. Which initially, I may have jumped the gun with, but I think he needs to concentrate on what got him the move in the first place. And what got him the move in the first place was being an, an, a really, really, really good. Premier League central defender, yeah, club and country, and I think he almost needs to re-establish himself as that first, and pass the, the armband on to, to to another member of the squad who probably sees leadership as as a more natural thing. Yeah, I think that Maguire, if if you can get Maguire playing to his best, then Manchester United's back four four improves, and I just think there's maybe one or two other distractions, the, the, the captaincy being one of them, that he perhaps doesn't need in them at the moment. Mm. And I probably be the first to hold his hand up and say do you know what I just need to defend right before I get the cap you know yeah he's a, he's a human being as well isn't he I suppose that's the, sure. the, the reality he's had a difficult summer um, for whatever reason whoever's to blame he's, he's had a difficult time yeah and and, you, and we talked about I've just seen a tweet actually from um, Dan Abraham the sports psychologist and he said that he's spoken to several Premier League players yeah um, during, during the start of this season uh, you'll be able to find it, Dan Abrams, um, sports psychologist on Twitter. And he's just said that several Premier League players that he spoke to prefer lockdown with no fans in. Really? Um, because of the, the, the men's side thing. Now, not saying Maguire does, because you know that's a different co- conversation. He's got probably got other things on. But the point I'm trying to make there is everybody's different. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, everybody reacts to things differently. Is it, and that's, what, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I wonder if the there's more of a level playing field because maybe those players who have previously their performance is inhibited by a crowd. Maybe that they're not. So they're, they're almost playing up to more of a level of, of the big quote stars of the league. I don't think Luke Shaw, just my opinion on this, I don't think Luke Shaw makes that horrific tackle in the second half. He was lucky to get a yellow card for if there's a crowd shouting, ranting and raving and getting at that Manchester United defence. Yeah. I think he makes the effort to come back in. But for me, it was a, it was a Hackney Marshes and <laughs> Sunday morning. Yeah, it was a it was a challenge that was. I mean, great 
that brilliant angle on Sky Sports who did the game yesterday. And if you look at it from sort of behind Shaw where uh, De Gea is from his point of view, if there's a camera angle, you just have a look at, for the listeners, well, have a look at Solskjaer's reaction when he makes the, when he makes the challenge. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a look at that, yeah. Did you, did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. No, I'll have a look at that. I was on air yesterday, so I was sort of like um, only, only sort of watching it with a sort of squinting out the corner of my eye and, and talking to uh, Alex, <laughs> Bruce, Alex Bruce. That is Steve, actually, was funny there. He was talking about defensive partnerships and centre-half and, you know, talking about, about his dad quite candidly, how he was covered by Gary Pallister and how you need that, that compliment at the back to, to sort of cover each other's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and Bruce is a great example. Um, of, of how to sort of marshal and organise back four because he wasn't the quickest. No. But he organised Parker around him so he'd have him closer in towards him. Gary Pallister, obviously Dennis Irwin and that was a unit and it was um, I guess it, it, it's better or a more similar example to the Leicester defence we, we spoke about. But yeah, any, if any of the listeners get to see the Luke Shaw foul second half, he got a yellow card for it. I think Gary Neville at the time was a bit surprised he, he only got a yellow card for it. Yeah. There's a particular angle um, from where sort of De Gea is stood, if you like, and you can see Shaw sort of galloping back. Great commitment, work rate, get it back in, but <laughs> he swings his leg, and, and I, I forget who he, who he takes out. You, you, you'll have to see, but he yeah. makes the challenge. Is it Aurier down there? I don't know. It might well have, yeah, yeah, it might well have been. Um, Solskjaer, Solskjaer is behind, and he's, yeah, just have a look. We will, but it's is it is it is it the um the co- the coaching aspect of it? And does it need to be more bespoke per game? I know Mourinho. You mentioned Luke Shaw said that he, his best performance is that he was actually coaching it through it on the touchline. Um, but you wonder, like yesterday, Harry Kane clearly was very consciously leading Harry Maguire out of the centre of the fence, and Son was springing behind it. Do we needed a, a more sort of comprehensive plan for that? Because Kane's a very intelligent striker, isn't he? And I think there was a sense that that. You know, maybe he should have been picked up by a defensive midfielder or passed on. Would that be something yep. that you should look at before yep. the game? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen Kane, haven't we? In, in sort of, a, I think in the last year, eighteen months, kind of drop into almost like that Sheringham. He's not, he's not, you know, he's nothing like Sheringham. But in terms of, he just drops into that pocket. He's like a mix of Sheringham and Shearer, isn't he? It's a strange, he is. yeah. And he and, and he's very, very clever at bringing defenders out. But you know, we, we know about that. You've mentioned there that can the central defender not speak to the defensive central midfield and say, look, he's going to pull me out here. Can you just drop in and take it while I maintain my position and keep us, you know, yeah. solid base behind? And also, if Kane gets the ball and turns it, you're not terrified, are you? Because he's not going to, someone that's going to run past you. So, in sure. a way, you give him a sure. bit of space, maybe, and then and then you just retain your, your position. You know, as well as Kane's dropping in and you pass the pass pass him on to the, to the cent, you know, Matic, in the case of Manchester United, you know, Matic, Emmanuel, you take take Harry Kane, he's dropped in, because you know who's running through then. And if if, 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 if Maguire goes with Kane, then there's a big gap there for Son and Lucas Moura to run into. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's interesting, actually, and I need to look watch it again. I think Mourinho definitely, definitely singled out Luke Shaw on that left-hand side. He seemed to just manoeuvre him around quite easily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a huge... Gaping, not just the second half, in the first half, they just seem to be coming down at will down the right hand side. And I think Kane was to, 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 to responsible for that because I think that as he was dropping in, Maguire was then following him. And Luke Shaw mm. felt that he needed to tuck in next to Eric Bailly. Yeah. Which then meant there was loads of room down that right hand side or left hand side, depending on the way you want to look at it, for, for Spurs to exploit. You... And I think that was a problem. And again, it goes back to that communication that as soon as Maguire dropped, uh, sorry. Kane drops in or whoever it is, you pass him on. Yeah, you mentioned the director of football, but I wonder, you know, with the special teams in NFL and I think other sports have, have sort of started to make moves in that direction. We've had striker coaches in football, whether you need 
a sort of bespoke defensive coach at United, whether that would help. I don't know what, whether you know what goes on in terms um, of training the defence. I think, yeah, but I, I think we've seen that before, haven't we? I, I, you said that now. I, I'm sure a defensive coach has been put into a couple of Premier League teams before. I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to think which one. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. And just in terms, yeah, of, just Ball, in terms of positioning. Steve Ball, Steve Ball was Arthur Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and probably during his most. Um, you know, most turbulent time at the club, period at the club, was yeah. Steve Ball but, but, you know, you can't tell me that Michael Carrick has that midfielder or sort of more defensive-minded midfielder in, in his latter years, hasn't said to Maguire, you mm. know, if, if Harry Kane's dropping in there or whoever we're playing, if their striker drops in, yeah, just pull Fred in or pull Matic in or pull somebody else in to take him. You maintain that shape, that solid back four. Yeah, so it's not drilling. It's actually having the players with the sort of perception skills and the sort of, um, I guess, autonomy to make those decisions themselves. And I guess that comes down to leadership, character. And if, if that, I guess, leadership comes naturally to, to some people. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's centre-half the priority, do you think? I mean, today we're talking, it's not been mentioned really in the, in the last few weeks, has it? With all the Sancho stuff and Cavani and Tellez. Yeah, I think United probably lose the game against Tottenham with a with a up on a or, or or a better central defender or more mobile central defender there. But I think in general, um, the, the the biggest need for Manchester United and, and there were, we spoke about squad depth and that that kind of thing. I think Manchester United are, are desperate for a, for a central defender because at the moment they've got Maguire by Lindelof. Two and Davy, Smalling sort of in the departure lounge hasn't quite gone yet, but we expect him to do. And Marcus Rojo and the six there I've mentioned. There's probably others that, for, mm. whatever, for whatever reason, be injury, poor form. Um, Phil Jones just completely not mentioned there. Nice. Like, <laughs> for whatever reason, just seem. I don't know if he's the word unreliable, but just seems to be sort of letting United down, and that's a lot of central defenders to have. Mm. The answer may well be at Manchester United in, in Two and Davy. Yes, he's got he's got a bit of everything, but I guess the unreliable part of of him at the moment is he's he's, he's, he's battling with injury. Can yeah. we get ten or twelve games out of uh, two and Zabi with Maguire? What do we do in the next game? Do we look at Maguire and Bay and say, well, that was an absolute disaster, and drop Bay again and put Lindelof in? Yes. Or do you look at Maguire and Bay and say, okay, that was that was bad. We went down to ten men, but do you give them the opportunity of ten to twelve games? Do you risk that? Yeah. Um, because you know, when these players don't play as well, all all of a sudden they become better players. Yeah, Lindelof all of a sudden was would probably be some a lot of people's first choice now to get back in ahead of even Maguire and, and Bay. Mm. You know, yeah. So, well, it's, it's it's interesting when you when you go through the the, the partnerships have been successful over that extraordinary period. For United, we mentioned Bruce Pallister. There was Jonsson Stam that was sort of shorter lived, but had that incredible ninety eight ninety nine season. Ronnie Jonsson and and Yap Stam, and then of course Ferdinand and. And Vidic, and I suppose there was, in terms of Ferdinand and Vidic and, and Bruce and Pallister, you can see a sort of a simplistic sort of analysis would be a stopper and a sweeper type. A uh-huh. um, bit different with Jonsson and Stam because they're both mobile, weren't they? And both read the game well. I think it's slightly different perhaps than, than those two. But it's not always about the attributes, is it? It's about the style of play. And we mentioned that personality because I feel like Bai has the attributes to complement Maguire physically, but doesn't necessarily want to play like that. He wants to be a stopper and slide in and, and sort yeah. of demolish people. He doesn't necessarily want to sit back like Rio Ferdinand and read the game and just pick things off as and when they, they come his way. I think when I think when um, Vidic, Ferdinand and Edwin van der Sar, the goalkeeper, of course, broke yeah. the record, or he called that fantastic defensive record, I remember thinking at the time that as good as they all were, they weren't quite at the peak. 
But mm. what they were is collectively and via communication were almost better than they ever were, if that makes sense. Because I think that their experience and the how they communicated with one another really, really got near or broke that record, whatever it was. I think it was a number of clean sheets at the time, wasn't it? So it was something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the communication factor they had, you have Schmeichel and Stam, yeah. um, Johnson, it was there again, Bruce and Pallister. And I just think that you look at De Gea, Maguire, and whoever plays next to Maguire, mm. one of those three is is the sort of natural leader, if you like. And that's not their fault. That's their personality. So you can't make... I, I can't, you can't make me be a leader if it's not within me and, and vice versa. Yeah. So, I, it, for me, Michael was a leader and, and Stan was a leader. Rio, Vidic and Van der Sar were leaders. Yeah. So very experienced, successful players. And I just look at De Gea, Maguire and Bailly or Lindelof. And I think particularly with, with, with Maguire and, and Lindelof or Maguire and Bailly, I think the th- those three central defenders are very good central defenders, but not necessarily first choice. I think they would... Excel, if you like, next to a Van Dyke or, mm. or Vincent Company. I think they would complement the more natural leader. And I think that what United have perhaps tried to do is not force them into it, but give them an opportunity to to, to be leader in Maguire's case. And and maybe it's not the most natural thing for him. Yeah, yeah. And I think we, I think you always get the sense when we look back through the sort of sands of time at 2013 and that pretty abrupt notice that Fergie was leaving, that that team had, had it was a big succession job wasn't it because the team you know namely you mentioned Vidic and Ferdinand the core of the team was pretty much had had run its course yeah it, it did happen and I, and I looked through the team today with Rooney uh, probably wasn't at his best I think no. he made a comment um, actually on the, on the final, his final game a home game Swansea that Rooney had asked to leave he's only 27 wasn't he Tom that's amazing you think about it then was he really yeah he'd have been 28 in the the, the autumn of that year so he'd have been 27 then, yeah. But 85 he was born, yeah. Wow, so you, right. Yeah. Well, that is interesting to me because I always think when Van Persie arrived at 27, 28, we, we, got, we got the best Van Persie. Yeah. Arguably, Rooney was approaching his peak years there. Yeah. I think um, he started young. There's a, there's a theory in football, isn't it, that you have 10 years at your peak and whether his 10 years was sort of like 17 to 27 or something like that, potentially. I don't know. Wow. No, but no. Michael right. Owen, Michael Owen-esque maybe as well, similar to that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, or hopefully the same has happened to, to Rashford and Greenwood. But no. what you mentioned there was it had a lot of and leadership seems to be a theme for this podcast because you, you had, although not at their best, you had um, Skulls, Giggs, Rooney, Rio, Vidic, uh, Van der Sar was still in, there in goal. And these guys were, you know, maybe not at the peak of their powers. Mm. You know, they weren't nasty by any means, but they were leaders. And yeah. they reflected the manager and they've been there and done it again. And then you have to manage situations and manage games. And I think at the moment, at two or three, one down yesterday, Manchester United on, or, or whatever the guys listen to this on, on Sunday against Tottenham, Manchester United at two or three, one down. Should probably have taken the medicine a bit. <laughs> yeah, been a bit more tricky to beat. Um, because people were pointing out the the six one defeat to Manchester City. Of course, I think that was the year before Sir Alex Ferguson retired, wasn't it? Yeah, and that that was a game where Manchester United was still competing for titles. Hmm. United went down to to to, to yeah. Men- it was kind of a bit like the Liverpool. Well, they, they, they lost the league on goal difference to City that year, didn't they? 2011, 2012. Exactly. That's that probably because of that game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it was a bit of a free result, if we're being honest, at that, yeah. that, that time, wasn't it? And yeah. I, put, 
I you know, I put Liverpool defeat to Villa in that bracket. Whereas United, there are there are so many other little subplots and things that people are potentially pointing to that, that are not right, namely the the transfer window and that lack of leadership again that that I, I'm not quite sure is there. Um, you know that doesn't mean the players aren't talent, talented. You you have to look at how many years De Gea's played in goal for for, for for Spain. You know Nemanja Matic is. I heard a great interview with him on on, on the BBC before the Brighton game, and he said that he was still uh, regarded himself as one of the best central mid- defensive midfielders in the world. Yeah. So these are guys who are not short of confidence as well, by the way. You know. No, no. It's something about the the connection, the chemistry is is something that's sort of intangible, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one. How do you expect today to play out? Because the Jaden Sancho situation as a United fan, I just feel that's so protracted. It's a bit sort of unsavoury that it's been in the in the in the press for so long. And you just wonder how much going back to what you said about Bruno Fernandes, how much he actually wants to come. And if he'd wanted to come, he could have maybe tried to to sort of force the hand a little bit of Borussia Dortmund. I wonder what you see happening today because we have to bear in mind the, the pandemic, don't we? And the financial implications yeah. of not having eighty thousand at Old Trafford every week that is going to come to come to cost bear and I wonder whether Dortmund might regret that in a way I know they've got fans back in in Germany but their sort of expectation of big money suitors next summer may be misplaced because the repercussions of of the finances at the moment might be quite severe for all the big clubs in Europe so it'd be interesting to see but do you expect just Cavani and Alex Tellez the Porto left back? Yeah I think we'll see Tellez and Cavani come through the door I think United need to obviously these deals or the majority of the the work for these deals will have done before the Spurs game. So I don't think that the Cavani Tellez deal in particular are reactions to, to what's happened at Tottenham Hotspur, you know, the defeat at Tottenham Hotspur. In terms of, of Sancho, I think that, yeah, he's a good point. He's, you know, do you want a player who would agitate for a move though? We had a Dybala, didn't we, last year who seemed key on joining United and then when probably wasn't going to receive the kind of financial mm. um, reward that he wanted, did, didn't quite fancy it. Now, I'm not saying that about Sancho by any means, but Surely, if a deal, you know, could have been done, it, it wouldn't be done. It would have already been done by now. Yeah, a player like that, you know, it's a position United are crying out for a bit of talent. And Gary Neville made a comment a few years ago, and I think Adrian Bevington has tweeted something similar today. And he said, you kind of notice the um, how good or how bad teams are run by their activity on the final day of the window. Yes, uh, and you know, Manchester United not getting Jaden Sancho, and then they go for Dembele who. The Barcelona's Dembele, who plays in that attacking right sort of position as well. You, you've got to ask yourself, mm. why is it? Why is that taking so long? Why all of a sudden is Dembele a bit of a knee-jerk reaction? So, if you're pushing me, I'd probably say the Sancho deal won't happen. Dortmund were very, very, very um, firm in, in what they were saying before the weekend. Um, I think they're slightly annoyed by United at the disruption it's caused because Sancho's missed a couple of games, hasn't he? For mm. well, he, he was seen in. Or reportedly, I must add, seen celebrating Tammy Abraham's birthday with the <laughs> well over the weekend. Yeah, that's yeah. That's the case because there'll be implications at the national team as well, if that is. Yeah, and you think last day signings are really exciting for, for viewers of Sky Sports News, but you wonder not only about the club's research on the player in terms of, we mentioned that personality and their sort of emotional impact they'll have at the club, but also from the player's perspective, it doesn't necessarily make you feel that wanted if you're it is suddenly thrown, you know, a kind of a desperate come and come and join us at the last minute. So it's intriguing how it plays out. And that's, yes, yeah, that's the mental side of things as well that we talked about before. How does the, the person feel about this? All of a sudden, Dembele was at Barcelona, probably wasn't expected to move to Manchester United. But then, you know, the last sort of eight or nine days, if the Sancho deal hasn't, quite made it. He's probably getting a few calls from Paul Pogba saying, do you fancy joining us here? <laughs> um, yeah. 
So it'd be very interesting. Tellers and Cavani, yes, and I, I, I'd probably say one more in, at, at the moment. I'd probably edge more towards Dembele than, than Sancho. Yeah. yeah. Interesting how it plays out. Tom, really appreciate it. How can we follow you? Because you are obviously connected to the club and you're constantly updating on the situation regarding United social media but you also write pieces yeah, well, you? I have a couple of columns on social media Twitter is probably the best it's uh, at Mr Tom McDermott and um, I'll be pretty much active throughout throughout the remainder of today certainly hey, great and you've got a po- do you do your podcast still sometimes as well yeah we've got a United End podcast recently had uh, Luke Chadwick on nice we had Andy Wyman from um, Coronation Street, a big United fan as well. The Luke Chadwick one's quite interesting, following what we said, the mental side of the game and yeah. the abuse he suffered over, over the years. It's quite interesting how he dealt with it and in comparison to the modern-day player who probably were all slightly more aware of the feelings of others. Um, yeah. But like J- Jason Lee, wasn't it? It's a similar story about getting sort of sort of ridiculed in the pre- in the public in, in sort of comedy shows. Yeah. We'll have to get you on, Ed, Ed one week. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, talk about people getting ridiculed in the public. That'd be good, yeah. No, 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 no. Not that. <laughs> Tom, appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the day. And uh, yeah, f- yeah. fingers crossed things come together. We get that chemistry soon. Take care. See you soon. Cheers, Tom. Thank you. So there we have it. Tom McDermott. I don't know if I've developed a masochistic streak, but there's something kind of uh, intellectually intriguing about the dilemma at Manchester United. Those 13 Premier League titles between 1993 and 2013 under Sir Alex Ferguson, a couple of Champions League a couple of uh, League Cups, loads of FA Cups as well. Um, you kind of wonder what the secret is. Is it purely the personality of the leader, Sir Alex Ferguson, or is it the board that changed? Obviously, David Gill, the chief exec, left at the same time as Ferguson in 2013. Ed Woodward had much maligned the guy who's doing the negotiations over contracts, Matt Judge, or is it the coach? Is it getting the right situation there? Is it the personality of the players? It's a complex plot, isn't it? And once you lose momentum in an organisation, be it a sports club or a business or whatever it might be, a, a group of friends uh, in life, it's tricky to to recapture it, isn't it? And so, although it's uh, emotionally bad to watch things like the Tottenham loss, I think I have to be grateful for what we had as uh, young men, young boys growing up with United, that unparalleled success really, maybe other than Liverpool's success in the 70s and 80s is comparable, but pretty uh, incredible success for Manchester United in that period. So try not to be too down, but intriguing to speak to Tom. Let's see if they get Edison Cavani, the Uruguay striker, 33 years of age over the line. There's a Brazilian left-back, Alex Tellez, mooted from Porto for £15 million, which seems relatively by United standards uh, a modest price, given that billion pound expenditure plus since Sir Alex Ferguson left and David Moyes replaced him initially in the summer of 2013. I hope you like that podcast. Do rate it on iTunes if you enjoy it. Let me know if you do as well. Tom's social media, Mr. Tom McDermott, but you can follow me, Ed Draper 81 on Twitter. Just get drop me a line and I'm on there sporadically. I will reply off my laptop as I've deleted the apps off my phone to try and be more productive. Uh, on that note, thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a fantastic Monday, transfer deadline day, and a good week to boot. Sun is still out in Cheltenham and looks like a nice day ahead. Thank you for listening, guys. Appreciate it. And goodbye for now.